This episode of Creativity in Captivity is sponsored by the Curtis Theater in Brea, California. Presenting Dawn Reed's The Never Too Late Show on Saturday, May 11th. Tickets are available at the Curtis Theater website. Get ready for insight and inspiration on the creative process from an array of artists, writers, and visionaries on May 9th, when Season 7 of Creativity in Captivity kicks off. In the meantime, please enjoy over 150 episodes hosted by Pat Hazel with a stable of creative guests in our listening lounge at creativityincaptivity.fun. This is Creativity in Captivity. I'm Pat Hazel. The forecast for today's podcast is sweet with a chance of cavities. I am literally a kid in a candy store as I'm joined by a master chocolatier that is recognized for igniting the artesian chocolate renaissance. Her smoked salted caramels are reported to be a favorite of President Obama, who frequently shared them with visitors to the White House. Coming up is a bit of sweet talk with candy innovator Fran Bigelow, who is the confectionery artist with the panache for the ganache. That spark of electricity, a skipping stone that sets you free. You're captive to a mystery, the curse of creativity. I love the introduction. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> Good. Well, it, can I tell you, you're the first guest I've had where I feel like I have to brush my teeth before and after the interview. Oh, so you're going to be eating chocolate. I received a box yesterday, a surprise box on my porch. That was a very savvy move by you or your staff to get me hopped up. So mm-hmm. my 19-year-old and I have been ripping through truffles. and just oh, every no. version. Oh, no. yeah. <laughs> I, I would say I was a complete truffle hog last night. And so <laughs> I saved a few items for our conversation. Easter came early for me, like just randomly. The box is elegant. The contents were great surprise treat. But before we get into the details of the product, I want to know, before anything, when you were a kid, what was the candies that were your favorites? I, w- I would love the Mounds Bar. It was a coconut and dark chocolate bar. At that point, it was 10 cents. And the regular candy bars on the shelf were 5 cents, all the other ones. So, And I preferred the 10 cent candy bar. So I had to make a choice every day, whether I had a treat that day or I saved my nickel for the next day and spent 10 cents and got a Mounds bar. Part of the fun of having a chocolate shop later in life was to say, I want to recreate that childhood memory because so many of our memories as a child help us define what we're looking for in chocolate. And when I started, I was trying to introduce people to that feeling I had walking in a chocolate salon in Paris in in the late 60s. It was like 1969. And I walked in a French chocolate shop and the smell and the taste were so different and so magical that it became the vision that I really wanted to create like 12 years later when I finally opened France Chocolates. But we go back to that Mounds bar. And so now I have that flexibility to go in and say, I'm going to make a better Mounds bar. Wow. So what we came out with was a coconut gold bar. And it took the coconut and the white chocolate filling. And then we covered it in dark chocolate. But I really, really always really wanted that almond joy that was the milk chocolate bar. So I put almonds on the dark chocolate one. And we ended up with a candy bar that I love today. Oh, that's so such a sweet story. And also, it's very interesting that 
you chose the 10 cent bar, which already meant you were aligned with luxury. <laughs> it had better ingredients. Yeah. My grandfather always talked mm -hmm. about penny candies. The idea was get as much as you can for as cheap as you can. <laughs> but you, you had the patience to wait that extra day. That's right. It was hard. It was very difficult, but I did. While we're there, let's talk about the ingredients that you have. I know that you approach it in a very important way with fair trade and sustainability, mm -hmm. but the importance of quality ingredients. I remember some years ago at a corporate event, Mrs. Fields was talking about the secret to her success mm -hmm. with cookies. She had built up this story. And at the end, the secret to her success was real butter. Mm -hmm. How yes. not skimping on that really <laughs> made a difference. So tell me a little bit about that, especially in pursuit of beginning your business as an entrepreneur. That's probably an expensive venture to go for the finest ingredients. In the United States, we seemed in the 60s and starting in the early 70s to value sweetness over flavor. And that was a way of mass production. So we'd gone this, we'd, we'd done this kind of reversal into mass production. And my first experience on going to France, I remember getting interested in cooking, was to find out that they still valued the artisan and the small producers and the ones that were making things special. In the United States, we had a, a much lesser standard for to call something dark chocolate or bittersweet. It only needs like 34% actual cacao, the cocoa content in it. And here at Franz, what we've done is like 60% is our lowest. And we go to 65 and 70 and 75. So we bring up the, that wonderful chocolate flavor. In doing that, it just, the chocolate is king. That, that's what we always believe. It's, it's flavor and chocolate. But dark chocolate with its antioxidants, it's, it's very high in antioxidants. So it... With the darker the chocolate, the better it is for you. So once the, uh, some of those health benefits were known for the high cacao chocolate, then the United States became a much larger consumer on, on the chocolate market. And so we've, we've really changed perception over the years. When I started, I had to educate everyone who came in, well, why is your chocolate more expensive? Why is it, why is it this? Why does it taste different? And I went, well, because we believe in giving you high percentage cacao chocolate, chocolate with flavor, chocolate that's going to taste like chocolate. In fact, we had a woman come in and said, I came back to tell you, I just, I bought this present for this woman. It was a friend of mine. And we're, we're talking in the late sixties. And she said, I knew that she loved chocolate. So I brought her a present and she did not like it. And she said, for me, I was not a chocolate lover and I love your chocolate. And the difference was that she wanted it to be sweeter. It wasn't sweet enough for her. And for the person who thought they didn't like chocolate, here this was. This was something that was full of flavor and it had that just that chocolate taste that you just can't describe it. Once you have it and smell it, you really crave it. And that's where I I love introducing people to it and educating them because and we've had a, a really strong educational component to our stores so that we know we tell people what they are consuming and how we're getting it. We know the farmers. We know what we're, we're paying for. it. We, we know it's, it's, it's a really good product. And by doing that, I think that, you know, we've been able through these years to just get a great loyal following and to keep it moving. I mean, in the beginning, it was difficult, but we had a lot of people that traveled to Europe and were used to European chocolate. And they always had better chocolate than we did here higher content, more flavor. So we just built on that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think quality, value, and service in the long run 
are the things that people can feel, especially in a situation mm-hmm. where you're handcrafting and hand salting these candies. It's easy to bring down the cost in production when you move it to a machine that's doing everything. And some of it, of course, makes no difference in the packaging, and, mm-hmm. but it really makes a difference when people are paying attention. I think that's the key to the word artisan, which you've mentioned, is that there is a value in the attention to the detail that's being paid. But I would say that arguably some people probably have a custom, which is that they have a comfort to what they grew up on. And so therefore, exactly that flavor, whatever it is, is what they're craving. It's not so much the quality. It's like, this is the very thing that I ate when I was got out of trouble, or there's an emotional component to that flavor. There really is. And that was the one thing I had to do too, was like to say that I think it's better when artisans start a company, you have your own taste and you believe in your own taste. And finally, people will come to you because of that taste. And if you try to be everything to everyone, you can't solve that, you know, but you can be a special chocolate place for the people that are really looking for that chocolate flavor and and bring them in. And and we love to give samples because we love to show people what we're doing and really convince them. Try to convince them, I should say. Some we can't, but many we can. Yeah. That's what drug dealers do too, Fran. I don't want you to... Uh We know what you're up to over there. (laughs) But I think your advice is very, very interesting and transferable because if you are a songwriter or you are a comedian, it is about your own Mm -hmm. taste. It's about getting the tribe to find what your sense of humor is or what the story you have to tell is. And it's when you're trying to be what people want, you're generally dissatisfied Mm -hmm. with working for that result. You'd be surprised in almost every business, there are people just like you who like what you like if you're willing to stand up for it. Mm -hmm. And so I think you have certainly done Mm -hmm. that over Mm -hmm. the years and you've stood proud, not just in the making of the product, but in the development of your brand, in how it's packaged, it's all very elegant. I don't know what the signature color is of your ribbons and boxes. It looks a little bit like a some kind of platinum copper combo there. It's rose gold, and then we use copper a lot. But the other thing we do, because I've always believed that the chocolate should be like a treat, you know, and it's something that I always wanted people to not just consume and and consume quickly and eat, but to slow down, have this wonderful moment and taste the chocolate. So I wanted you when you opened the package to take time to open Mm -hmm. the package, to have to have to peel back the layers and look at it and look at the beauty of the chocolate and then put it in your mouth. The, The chocolate should always taste better than it looks and better than the package says to you. But once you do that, then that experience is what's going to transform what you think of it. And you have that special moment in your day, your week or anything. And I think we all all deserve that. And that's what I was trying to do for children that come in the shop, for grownups, for anyone. And well, and for myself, because if this if these things didn't please me, you know, I wouldn't have stayed with it for 40 years. So it's just it, it always it always brings me that pleasure. And I want to do that for other people. We also change the colors in the shop. We decorate for every season because as a child, that was the other thing that was special to me. Christmas was special to me. That time when it was holidays and meals and and whatever you were celebrating and whatever religion, you still were celebrating around dinners, families getting together where you should have something so people would come in the store and they and 
those colors would change and we would have special things for it. Valentine's sure. Day for sweetheart. We love that. We just love to get everyone in there getting the special treat for their loved one. Easter when it's spring and bunnies and rabbits and, and Easter eggs and all that. So I want to bring that kind of magic back to parents bringing their children in the shop to experience. They're just so excited. And that, those are the kinds of interactions that have kept me going over the years. And, and we just want to keep yeah. doing that for people. Well, it is quite special. And and as I said, the color is signature to your brand, which makes you feel mm-hmm. like the Tiffany's of confectionery. So when people see the package, they already know they're getting something, which makes it an amazing thing to give as a gift because it amplifies the moment because candy is a taste and it's a texture and all of that. Yes. But once you yes. add the visual component to it and the and the feeling of the mm-hmm. ribbon and all of that, you're you're hitting more tactile senses that are, it's not mm-hmm. unlike opening an Apple product where people have the computer, but they save the box. Right, right, they do, right? you're the right. The iPhone <laughs> box is worth saving business cards in. You know, that's just something about thinking much more yeah. than you're going to crank out a product and hope that it lives on the shelf mm-hmm. and finds people where they are. Right. You're actually inviting them right. to explore many more parts of it. The idea of things being worthwhile by making those changes. This is something that in my comedy, I often Mm -hmm. talk about Halloween or Thanksgiving or Christmas. And I find that people Mm -hmm. really, it's not about me at that point. It's about them remembering their own childhood. Yes. Yeah. Last night I thought, okay, there must be peak seasons for you, right? Obviously you mentioned Valentine's day, Easter, Christmas, and mother's day is probably a big candy giving day. Yes. But I think what you have done is you've created what I would call Other's Day, not just Mother's Day, which is a good reason to give a gift that's thoughtful, that makes people feel special. That's right. And that can be any day of the year, anybody in some congratulations, in a promotion, in a graduation, it, because right. it is something right. that people like to be thought of. I feel like that's one of the great losses in the postal system at the moment is that by going to text mm-hmm. an email, there's an expectation of speed and response and people just don't sit down and write an elegant letter anymore. And it's something that I'm an old guy who likes a walk to the mailbox when I go there and there's nothing there (laughs) except for like coupons. It's the worst feeling in the world. (laughs) But I think you must still have a very good relationship with the postal service because, you know, however they timed it, it arrived for me yesterday and it just was like, Oh, okay. I'm going to get into chocolates. Mm -hmm. One thing they, one thing they say about chocolates is that it's happiness, which you can eat. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase, but yes, yeah, it's comfort food. And I don't know what it is about that, whether it's the caffeine or the cacao or something, but it does seem to help with depression. It might be temporary, but it seems to boost some part of the brain to say everything's going to be okay. Well, let me ask something about the ingredients. Let me ask you about Belgian chocolate, okay? okay? Because you hear that phrase and I know probably Mm -hmm. you have exchange or trade with folks like that. Is there something in the soil in Belgium or is there something that makes that different? Chocolate really is an agricultural product and it and it grows in cacao pods on trees that are 20 degrees north and south of the equator. What's happened is that the countries around the equator are the ones that produce the cacao. And then it was the countries where they were exporting those cacao beans 
that learned how to manufacture it and had the machinery to manufacture it. So the Belgians have their way of making chocolate. The French have their way, the Italians, the Germans, and everyone developed these different tastes, but they were the ones with the equipment to refine it. And so that's how we came to hear that the larger companies were were done like this. Now people are going back to origin where the, where the cacao beans are grown and there's there are companies in there that are, are doing the manufacturing there also. And so that's another another component. But the other thing is that they have learned over the years how to bring out, not bring the bitterness to the chocolate, but to bring out the flavor and that it's for this long fermentation. And so if the beans are correctly harvested and fermented, you're going to get a much rounder and fuller taste in the chocolate. So that has also helped chocolate. Now then, still many of the companies in Belgium and in France, Italy, they can purchase these beans from the farmers and then they have a line of chocolate and there's chocolate manufacturers that we deal with that what we want to do is we want to we want them to have a relationship with a farmer or we know the farm that it's coming from and then we can with, with assurances buy our, our chocolate from them and know that we're, we're getting the flavorful beans and then everything that comes to us then we taste as it comes in. It's wonderful. It's how we can go up higher in the cacao percentage to give you, say, a 70% chocolate that tastes doesn't taste bitter at all. It just is full and rounded, and we can even go up to 100% and give you one with no sugar, and, and you'll be very surprised that you'll still like it. It's not like the old baker's chocolate when you got in your mother's yeah, cupboard and you had that by mistake, and you went, what happened? I thought, I've made the mistake, but I often talk about how you think you're getting away with a crime if you sneak a piece of bitter sweet baking chocolate off your mom's shelf. And then it comes with great punishment. Yeah. <laughs> Once it gets You're in your mouth. Right? Trailing behind you with brown drool, just trying to get rid of it. Is there a secret to your, where you get your salt? Is that something you can share or is that a trade secret? No, no, that's not a trade secret, but it's the interesting thing is when I started, it was just chocolate and I was not interested in, in caramel. So this is where we started to use the salts. And caramel was something that in my childhood was always too sweet for me. It just didn't didn't do anything. And I had a customer who came in and she said, I know, I know what you're trying to do and everything, but she, she said, I just, I know you you have this wonderful flavor with your chocolates, but I just really am dying for the caramel that I had when I was a girl. And I said, well, it's just too sweet for me. I just, there's nothing I like about caramel. And she said, if you had caramel the way I used to get it from the store that made it from scratch and made it with flavor, you would love caramel. She said, I, I challenge you to do this. She said, you you keep trying and, and I'll keep coming back and buying all your mistakes till we can get to that point. So I took her challenge. I love a challenge. And I decided, OK, maybe I'm missing something here. And we started, what we started to do was like, it took, it took like over six months before, I mean, we just did a little batch every day trying to get to that point. But I think I also like detail and research and, and recipes. And this was just the challenge I needed. And we got it down to a point where we learned how to 
reduce the sugar in the recipe, really darkly caramelize the sugar. So we transformed the sugar and it became part of that really deep flavor in there. And then we had a soft caramel because I didn't like the ones that stuck to your teeth. So it was a soft caramel that would again melt in your mouth. And that's how we came up with caramel. And I thank her to this day because now it's like we are really known. Yeah. It's a caramel company. And it was something that I started with without even thinking we were ever going to make a caramel. You know, that was that was just far off in the And so you just you listen to your customers and you just you find out that their memories, again, they have some taste. And, and, and the way people did things slower in the past, small batch, which we still do small batch caramel, bring out the flavor, do that. And it's, it's wonderful. So then after this, we had started on these, on these caramels. And then I was doing a Valentine show with Michael Carrillo down in the Napa Valley. And he, at that point in the mid nineties, late nineties, started bringing in artisan sea salts. And he said, this has changed my cooking. He said, I'm going to send you back with this Brittany gray sea salt and and you're going to try it with your chocolate. And I went, oh, Michael, come on. It can change your cooking, but it's not going to change my cooking in chocolate or sweet, anything like that. And he said, you just, this is a bet. You take it back. You try it. So he was using the salt from France, from Brittany, and we started. We had we started with gray sea salt. Now we use fleur de sel, and it's just it, it's wonderful salt. It was before we had we had either the kosher salt or the Morton's iodized salt, which just has a totally different flavor. This taste of the sea, it has that mineral com- component to it. It's flaky. It's it's wonderful. So we put some in the caramel. And then we went, okay, that helped. Now let's put a little sprinkle on top. And what the salt on top does, it just open all your taste, but, and it just, yeah, you salivate and you're just ready for that caramel. And it's just that perfect contrast. We came out with a salt caramel in 1998 and it just, it won a specialty food award at the, at the fancy food show. And it started to take off at that point and it became more and more available throughout the country. And then we had another, I mean, I think it's lucky experiences. I, I can't describe like there's things that happen to you, you know, in, in business and you have many lucky things, but ours was always the relationship with our customers and telling them what we were doing and, and what we had. And we had one customer who just loved our caramel. She was a caramel fan. She did. She didn't like the chocolates as much, but she'd grown up down in Madison Park, just down from from our store and she was a caramel fanatic and she just would always come for this. So she started to work on Barack Obama's campaign before he became president. And she said, I'm going to go back and I go to his headquarters. And she said, I want him to remember me. And so she said, I'm not going to go back there and work and not have him remember me. So I'm going to take some of my special mm-hmm. things from Seattle, a little box of caramel. He came back to me and he said, where did you get these caramels? And she explained it to him. So they just had this running thing. So she would always bring him the caramels back and forth. They became a staple on his yeah, presidential campaign in his car. He needed to have that for his special little treat after a long day. And then they started giving them out in the White House. It was just it's just a, a fantastical story that we could never, ever could believe. But it all came about, again, because, you know, you just pay attention to what you're doing. 
and never thinking that one of your customer, all your customers can spread the word through through different people and you get your chocolates to different places. And this was just like, you know, magical. And then to, yeah. Well, it is interesting that in marketing and in referral, there's a big difference between having something good or great and having something be somebody's favorite. Oh, I say that about the reference here to it being Barack's favorite candy or salted caramel. But also when somebody tells you this is a decent restaurant, go to that restaurant. It's quite different when they go, my favorite restaurant is because it's a sense of endorsement <laughs> that is tremendously yeah. powerful right. because yeah. it's almost like giving a secret away. Yeah. Yeah. What's interesting is you just told a series of stories where people had memories and those memories are almost the ability. That's a story that you get to revisit with the taste of the chocolate or the taste of the caramel. Yes. So that's what they're after. They're after a transported to a escape, to a safer time, a more comfortable time, mm-hmm. a joyous mm-hmm. time. We all deserve a treat. Yeah, we do. We trick ourselves into something where I worked out today. I walked five miles. I can have uh-huh. that thing, whatever it is. There's something about you that I hate to profile you, but you <laughs> you have a Mrs. Claus quality. <laughs> and I don't know if it's the glasses, if it's the laugh, it's whatever. But um, there you are making these sweets that are magically arriving for people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I hope you don't take offense to that. But you have grown almost into a living Mrs. Claus here. I take that as a compliment. Yeah. Oh, good. It's intended as one. Mm-hmm. But you work with your family. So how many of your offspring are now in the candy business? Okay, two. My son and my daughter, my husband, Peter, they pull him in for odd jobs, but nothing, nothing really serious, just a few little things. And Dylan is the chocolate director, director of operations. He's taken that over. He's got wonderful, wonderful taste, even better than mine. And he learned how to roast beans and, and do that with Scharfenberger chocolate back in the 90s. So he's got the full knowledge of chocolate and works on our formulas and importing all our chocolates. And then Andrina, our daughter, and she went into the business side and got an MBA from Cornell and is in marketing. And so she's the CEO. They run the company together and it's just, it's fabulous. It's the best thing for me that ever happened. And it's just, it's wonderful to work with your van because you trust them in everything. And they've been able to carry out both sides of the business, which I tried to do all the time. That's great. Have they helped you expand into more stores or social media or other things that maybe have you have less interest in? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. They're they're much better on that. And then yeah, and then the whole website and the artistic development. They're also instrumental in we made a great connection with the ball in, in Japan. We're in like Tokyo now and Kyoto and Kobe. So the the stores there are doing very well and they've They've made sure that that relationship is is still seamless. So they, they've done so much. And our, our mail order and web is up. All the things that I wouldn't have been able to do myself, but they have. And they've been able to carry it forward. The other thing is like fair trade and organic certification. And they've brought that full swing. So like 97% of our products are organic and fair trade. Many, many things. Did you find that the pandemic caused supply chain issues for you at all? Or was it fluid? It did cause supply chain issues, but mainly we've been able to stay in chocolate. There may be certain formulations of chocolate that were harder to get at one time or another, 
but the packaging and the paper and, and those delays. And then there's glass and then there's ribbons and then there's all this. And so there's always, always something, but we always have, have been able to stay in enough of our products that we have a, a selection for everybody in, in some way or another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't know if you know this, but you came referred to me by one of our editors on this podcast. Her name is Delilah Lovejoy, and she was a sales associate at your, one of your Seattle stores. Uh-huh, uh-huh. She mentioned boxing up chocolate and giving samples, and, and it was really intriguing. I love unusual businesses. I love people with a passion for something that are willing to devote their life to the advancement of something. I want to salute her here because she'll probably have to edit this episode. Oh, wonderful. Say hello. Hi. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Do you have any advice for a young entrepreneur who might have an idea and need to take a leap. The big, what's that risk moment from having the vision in your case of being a chocolatier or wanting to make a better mounds bar Mm -hmm. to the investment part of it? I think first of all, they need to understand it's, it's an investment of, of time and energy and love. And so you can't underestimate how much time it's going to take and how much time it will take out of your life. And I think you have to think about that. So I think when you're starting a business, you have to be sure that this is something you want to devote that much time to in the beginning. It may not be monetarily successful for quite a while, but you're going to be the one that stands behind it. You're going to be the one that has to support it. You're the one that people will come to. You have to be able to have people join your organization. So you have to be enthusiastic enough about it to stand behind it, to get those people to share your vision and, and, and come work with you. The other thing is to make sure that you've got some awareness of a business background, something that at least you can read a balance sheet, or at least you know what's what's coming up. And then, you know, kind of looking ahead at, at what the what the pitfalls are and how much money you need to support yourself along the way. Or do you just want to start in a small way so that you can you can test it out and see how far this idea is going to go in there? But I think you can't underestimate the commitment it's going to take. And, and then if, if it starts to grow, you think you're going to have it easier. It's really more of a commitment. It just takes more of your time. And everything I did that was trying to give me last time with the business, kind of like it, it just turned out to be more. But it's 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 been so rewarding. I mean, I think... I. Couldn't be happier choosing this. Uh, opportunities to meet people from different countries, to travel, to to go to to go to origin, to see where the where the cacao beans are coming from, to see how those farmers work, to, to put all these things together. It's given me a a much wider range of experiences than just we're up here in this little corner of Seattle and hadn't been out to that many places. And it's just it's. The, the friendships, the friendships in Japan, every everything. It's just it's just been a marvelous, marvelous, marvelous trip. It really does open up the world, especially in today's day and age, where there's a democratization of distribution with with the internet, and you don't have to have mm-hmm. even from a marketing standpoint. It's not licking and stamping envelopes. There are ways that if you do something unique and people can mm-hmm. find you, it opens mm-hmm. doors all over the world. All over. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Couldn't believe it. Okay. I got a couple of thoughts. One is I want to know where you stand on having de- dessert first. Is that something you, mm-hmm. is that something you subscribe to or <laughs> I know that you don't mind when others do, but I wonder if you personally. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't do that. However, 
if you're going to taste chocolate and you really want to do a tasting like like now so many chocolates we're, we're coming out with i mean you, you taste it you taste it it's it compares with tasting fine wine because there's so many complexities in the chocolate but to taste chocolate it's best done early in the day and it has to be done before you have anything else you know in your mouth so you go through a whole tasting ritual just like they do with like the cupping of coffee the the wines anything like that so that that is when i do it and when i we're, we're experimenting with new chocolates and new flavors we'll always have that in the morning because you, your, your taste but you're, you're just you can taste better in the morning oh, that's and that's that's fascinating yeah. what would you say is a good palate cleanser between chocolates is it wine or cheese or apples or no water water, water. okay yeah yeah nothing nothing else and and more room temperature water, not not very cold. But then cheese will coat your mouth, so you won't be able to find it. But if there's some irregularity with the with the chocolate, you won't be able to pick up on it. So we're we're looking for very different things. I mean, I think I think cheese and, and chocolate, and then still like it with brandy sure. or whiskey, something like that. I like I like that at the end of a meal. We we love port with oh, it. Yeah. Um, it just kind of stands up to it and it's that wonderful finish we pair certain ports with these with these chocolates and that's that's a wonderful wonderful way to end the meal oh nice i like that and i like we sell a lot we have we have a stuffed fig that we take we love fruit and chocolate so we stuff the fig with chocolate and then and then we pair it with a port and it's a it's a complete dessert in the end so that that was one of the things you started with right was the chocolate dipped fig yeah, I saw a news story on YouTube or something where uh-huh. somebody was getting a chance to put their hands in and and hand dip the figs. And hand yeah. dip a fig. Okay, okay, yeah, right, right. So all, all kinds of yeah. I once yeah. had a visit to the Just Born Candy Company in Easton, Pennsylvania, where among other things uh-huh. they make the Easter peeps, the little marshmallow peeps. Oh yes, it yes. was a really funny little assembly line because they had this marshmallow peep that would go up this little conveyor and then it would jump through a sugar shower which would coat it and then (laughs) it would come out the other side and these women had a little thing where they would dot the eye with a little frosting and they handed me that gun and like fire away take take some shots of putting some eyes on the peeps and i thought you don't want me to like these things are going to look like it's going to look like a gangland shooting if i you know like i didn't know how to handle the You know what I mean? Like I I was dotting the peeps. They go, well, that's right. You can taste those coming off the line. And it was amazing to taste the fresh because the history of peeps, I, when I got them, they were already not fresh by the time they got into my Easter basket. But it was pretty amazing to have a melted warm marshmallow peep coming off the line. (laughs) Oh, wonder. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So, I mean, that, that's the luxury of being a touring comic that makes jokes about nostalgia is, is that I often yes. get invited to the Crayola factory or the twister tarps. Yeah. Well, you can come visit us too. When you get to Seattle, that's, you'll have we would fun. love to do that. Okay. We would love to do that because I saw your, you have the cho- double chocolate waterfall. That's what I, th- I saw in the yes. store. Oh, okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You can, you can come. You should have a spa that. attached where people can, get in a hot tub full of milk chocolate. (laughs) I mean, I'm not trying to tell you how to run your business, but. No, no, but the idea, I have to, yeah, I have to stay open to, yeah. The other customers helped you, perhaps. Uh Yes, you can. (laughs) Okay. I know that you ventured into the hot chocolate business too. So did that, obviously it it was natural that that came about, 
But tell me about your exploration to to make a hot chocolate recipe. It's knowing in France that they always had dark, dark hot chocolate. And it was like a liquid truffle. And so it was kind of bringing that to fruition. And so what we do, it's it's a truffle before it sets up. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful way to start the day. And I think that that is, we can, we can do one also with water, which makes the chocolate stand out more and is very flavorful. So we do that. And we, I love to drink that in the morning. And that's a special, special drink. So now you're getting all, all my morning secrets. I'm telling you, it's just one more Mrs. Claus quality you have to be drinking hot chocolate in the morning. <laughs> and maybe maybe it keeps you young at heart. I would say, you know, one of the things I've noticed about chocolate is it has the ability to make my clothes shrink. It's, it's good. <laughs> Well, because what we do too is we've got we've got little thins and little pure chocolate bars for people that just just want that that chocolate that they they want to eat at certain points. They don't they don't want to indulge in something like a, a caramel or a, or a truffle, and so that that becomes a snack during the day. The nibs, the hundred percent cocoa nibs, coat those in chocolate and chocolate nuts. So combine your fruit and nuts with a with a dark chocolate bar we've got with fruit on top. All kinds of ways to stay, yeah. Yeah, one of the things that I do have to try is the there was a white chocolate pure bar that you put in the packaging that came to me. I haven't opened that yet. And I'm not as much of a fan of white chocolate. I feel like it's kind of sneaking into the candy business or something. But maybe you can sell me on the powers of white chocolate versus because I'm a I love milk chocolate. That's a that's a given for me. Okay. Well this this one is it has black sesame in it and so it takes these it's roasted black sesame salted roasted black sesame seeds and they're combined with the white chocolate and it just seems to be the perfect vehicle for it when you taste it it's it's not going to be sweet it's going there's going to be a lot of that black sesame so you're getting the a lot of the sesame seeds the nut flavor from that and it's and it's it's not a white bar it's, it's going to be gray when you open it Thank you for that warning, by the way. That's one of the other interesting things with the collaboration with the Japanese and sort of looking at different different tastes and things that way that they've been able to introduce us to different things. This is like a 160-year-old company that still roasts the sesame seeds the same way. It's a fourth-generation sesame roaster who roasts these seeds. It's the Waterman Company. It's just, oh. they're, they're wonderful. So it's a, a whole different taste in sesame seeds. This is going to be my treat when we're done because... While I thought I was going to okay. have you talk me through the menu and some of the stuff that the boxes come with a little key that show you what candy's what, I kind of feared that if I started <laughs> eating it, that I wouldn't be able to talk right. So I'm going to save that treat. Oh, now you're yeah, okay. I'm, I'm rethinking what I was going to do. I was going to sit here like a kid with a bag full of Halloween treats and just eat them one after the other, but I, I wouldn't would have to cleanse my palate with water. I did I did try your peanut butter cup last night and love that. That was pretty supreme. Good, good. Maybe this is a good time to ask a side question about the truffles name, because I know that truffles is a mushroom, but truffles is also a chocolate. So can you help me understand the origin of how that happened? Truffles were originally, they were formed and rolled into a ball with your hands and they were very rough. They were the French housewife's confection like in the united states the american housewives would do fudge here they would do truffles and so it was a it was a, it was a really rough confection done with dark chocolate 
and cream and put together and then rolled into balls and then uh, dipped in cocoa powder. And so they thought it looked like a mushroom truffle. So that's right, which is essentially a lump of solid mushroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and has that dull quality to the outside. And so then what we started doing in the United States and the French, it was to coat these in chocolate in, in that plain chocolate where it's dipped and it's tempered. So that gives it a, a hard coating on the outside. The cocoa duster truffles have a very short shelf life. You, you, you've got to make them and eat them within one to two days or they start, you know, because chocolate will absorb all flavors. And so you want to be sure you've, you've put your chocolate somewhere where they're not absorbing other flavors because you may take a bite of a chocolate and you may find out that it something just doesn't taste right with it. Or if it was put in, you know, you thought you put it in a dry place in your cupboard and it was right next to onions or garlic. Oh, well, you're going to have oniony chocolate. So you, you, you want to protect it from all those those kinds of things. So to get that. So that's why the cocoa dusted ones are so perishable. And we started dipping it in chocolate to give it, yeah, a few more days. And it gives that airtight quality to keep that oh. center soft inside. That's a good reminder about where to store it. Because when the stuff came yesterday, I went to put them in the fridge. And the first thing mm-hmm. I did was throw out the onion. But then I decided... Maybe if I just eat them fast, that would be. Yeah, don't put them in that. But how how warm is it down there? I mean, you have to, yeah, you just need to put them in somewhere like a, the best place is like a wine cellar. Something like, you know, like, like 68 degrees, something like that. If you put them in a refrigerator, there'll be condensation on the outside. And that will uh, set off your, if you're really tasting it, it'll set off your palate so that you'll taste that sugar bloom on the outside. <laughs> we don't want that. Well, that's funny. I just noticed when I said refrigerator, I really ruffled, I ruffled your truffles at that moment. Yeah, right. That's right. That's right. So if you do that, you have to go through a whole process of bringing them out slowly. Well, we're learning. We're all learning. You're learning. You learn. Yes. Yes. But, and it just depends on how fussy you are about your chocolate and which what you're what we're talking about. But to, to eat them at their at their prime, yeah, you do, you don't want to have them. It's it's that difference in temperature that that's going to affect them. That that severe difference in temperature. Where did your logo of the fleur de lis come from? Is it just the love of the French chocolate that brought that forward, or does that have a family significance or something? No family significance, just it was it was one of the first boxes that I had when we were down on Madison and I, and I got it and I loved it because it had these little fleur-de-lis on the outside. So it's a rendered fleur-de-lis, a, a one that's like drawn in a little different shape, but it, it keeps bringing me back to that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. I, I spent quite a bit of time in the New Orleans area when I lived in Mandeville, Louisiana, and the fleur-de-lis was prevalent. And I, there was something about it that always yes. made me culturally feel like there was something super interesting about the fleur de lis. And I, again, I didn't grow up with it, but when I moved there, I began to see it mm-hmm. on, mm-hmm. you know, the tops of fences and all kinds of places. And it, it always made me feel good. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think you've selected something quite elegant. Thank you. Thanks. Well, is there something in development at France Chocolate that you are excited about that's coming that you can share? Is there anything that you're working on at the moment that may be the future of, of Franz chocolates? We're doing a lot with, with nuts right now. 
and doing a lot with with like nut fillings. And so some things like that will be will be coming out with more of those because I think that that's a, another way of keeping the sugar level down. So so we're working on on that. We did, we came out with like the matcha bar, and so we're doing that green matcha uh, truffle. We're trying to come out with that. So that's that's kind of on the horizon. But working working on. I'm trying to think what else. those are the two main things right now. That's exciting. Well, if you if you venture into hazelnuts, then I expect to have maybe a, something named after me. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay, because we've got something going with <laughs> hazelnuts, and that, yeah, we do. We do. That's <laughs> we can name Pat <laughs> the Pat hazelnuts. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> or, or, um, we'll we'll certainly yeah. promote it here. I can promise you that. Okay. Um, okay. They can, of course, keep track of all of this by going to Franz.com. And they can see a little bit about what we're talking about. They could certainly order gifts for any occasion for folks and and get something for yourself while you're at it. That's that's always been my philosophy at Christmas. If I buy, if I buy somebody else a can of popcorn, <laughs> I get one for myself. So I have in front of me some of Fran's milk chocolate peanut butter cups with uh, both milk and dark chocolate, which I'm going to be trying along with my white chocolate when this mm-hmm. podcast ends today. Mm-hmm. I thank you so much for investing the time and sharing your wisdom and your sweet stories. You've been a luxury chocolatier in Seattle since 1982, and it doesn't look like there's anything stopping you. But thank you so much for being my guest today. Oh, thank you. I enjoyed being on with you. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us today. Take a moment to subscribe and we will hold your seat for more creative conversation and a weekly spark of inspiration. Our show is produced by Sweetwood Creative under the skilled producership of Amanda Rosenberg with sound editing lovingly provided by Delilah Lovejoy. Our original music theme was written and sung by Maya Sharp with additional production support and sanity provided by Casey Franco, Tony Deo, Tucker Hazel, and Diane Johansson. Please feel free to share your input or dash off a review on social media to help grow our creative community. You can find us on Instagram at Pat Hazel with two L's or visit our website at creativityincaptivity.fun. You heard that right. It's dot fun because dot com is just two dot common and dot fun is so much more fun. Ciao for now. Staring at an empty page, stepping on a ghostlit stage, a circus of uncertainty. Your call to creativity. La 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 la. La la la.